Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. To get you through the holiday week, check out theringer.com for our July streaming recommendations, analysis on the U.S. women's national team during the World Cup, and takeaways from an exciting start to NBA free agency. Also, we'll be sticking to our regular podcast schedule, so make sure to tune in to your favorite shows throughout the week as usual. Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Big shout out to Yola Tango for the intro music. If you're in Seoul, Korea, they are playing there right now, and they're on their Asian leg of their tour. Check them out. They're one of the best bands of all time. Today on the podcast, we have Bill Simmons, the podfather himself. I was in L.A. uh, a couple weeks ago, and we just started shooting the shit, and we just started taping whatever we were talking about, and it was just you know, the happenings of what was going on, right? Like where to eat, what I'm thinking about food. And, you know, Bill's really influenced how I do a lot of things. And his ability to just sort of talk about his opinions on something is very interesting to me. And since we started last week to talk about Chick-fil-A and MSG and Chinese restaurant syndrome and the lack of representation and the fairness of it all— I was like, man, like maybe we should just name the top of the segment, My Opinion is Fact— so uh, don't hold me to anything as I spew a lot of verbal diarrhea, but I'm going to go on a rant, not a rant. I think it's legitimate. I want to talk about the ethnic food aisle in grocery stores. When I go to a supermarket, anyone that say like a giant Safeway, I don't even know. I, I don't think I've ever been to a Kroger's. If you go to the ethnic food aisle, that is sort of the last bastion of racism that you can see in like full daylight in retail America, food retail. It is something that's got to go. And it's something that I've been talking to my team at Momofuku about as we try to do more CPG products. How do we help kill the very notion of what is the ethnic food island? Why does it even exist anymore? And yeah, you can even still go to like Whole Foods today and see all the places in the world that are not sort of white America Placed in one aisle, you can get Goya beans next to Kikkoman soy sauce next to, like, curry. It doesn't make any sense to me. The fact that we live in a world today that is as multicultural and diverse, like, you can see this in restaurants. When you go out to dine, it's harder and harder to distinguish what came from where. Even if you go to a French restaurant, most of the unique flavors and juxtapositions of ingredients come from places outside of France. Everything is moving towards like this mixed hodgepodge of stuff. And to me, that's why I always call it a Blade Runner future. Not just because I love Blade Runner the movie, but there's a scene in there when Harrison Ford eats a bowl of noodles and like it's street food, but it's normal in Los Angeles in like the year 2020. And I've always used that as a benchmark where you can eat something that is not normal in your current day life, but in the near future, it becomes normal. It is normalized. And I'm seeing that with food. You see it everywhere. And it sort of trickles down. And when places that are chain restaurants start to embrace bolder flavors, and I'm not say bolder, just not muted and not just salty and sweet and fat, but have nuance. And that's what I mean by bold. It's actually nuance. And you're beginning to see this. Like, you're even seeing this on potato chips. It's not just sriracha. You're seeing gochujang, Korean fermented chili paste flavors. I am completely floored that gochujang is even in the lexicon of the American public, but that's just the world we live in today. People know more about food than ever before. I can't speak for the rest of the world, but in America, if you are of a certain age and you grew up with the internet, more than likely— No one in American history has ever known more about cuisine or gastronomy than you or your generation. And the weird thing is, is who's making those decisions when you go to the supermarket? I don't think there's actually representation of your demographic, of your mirror image of the interest that you have made by the corporations that are now creating these products for you and placing it in your supermarket shelves. The fact that I can still buy like fried chow mein noodles in a can with oriental lettering 
is beyond me. No one eats that shit. Yet it's still there. And it's probably made by some dude or a bunch of people that might have bought an Asian company years ago. And it was probably based on recipes and a business from an Asian immigrant, but is now as far removed from that origin as humanly possible. And why is that accessible today? We should have so much more variety. And I don't understand that. It makes no sense in the world to me. The lag on how you buy a CPG consumer product good is so far behind. I have nothing but anger at it because it's antiquated and it's got to go. And again, I'm not saying it's straight racist. That's not what I'm trying to say. But it is like pretty close to it because it's values of how we ate years ago. And I really encourage everyone that owns retail food and that displays it to mix it all up, have it accurately reflect how we eat in this world today. And it's not by just categories. And again, my benchmark for food categories has always been olive oil because I always remember as a kid growing up going to Giant or Safeway in Northern Virginia and like buying oil because my mom would always buy peanut oil or canola oil. And I never understood what olive oil was because I never had an olive before. And I would remember looking as a kid as like, oh, there's one olive oil. I don't remember it was extra virgin. It was probably like a third pressing and there was pomace oil. You used to be able to buy pomace oil, which is basically like the dregs of the pressing of olive oil. And it's useful, I guess, but it's not really good olive oil. And that was your only option. If you go to a average supermarket today, or let's just say a higher end one, you're going to probably see at least half a dozen to maybe two dozen kinds of olive oil. That has happened from the mid-90s to 2019 over constant travel. People have gone to Italy. There's been constant cultural immersion through books, TV, magazines. The world's gotten smaller and people know more about Italian food than ever before. And you see that in the offerings of olive oil, which is like the bare minimum ceiling for me of how I sort of look at the diversity within a supermarket. And if there is a ton of olive oil and yet there's still food stuck in an ethnic food aisle with a sign, very, very sad sign, ethnic food or foods of the world bullshit, that makes me angry. And I don't understand why we still have that as an issue today. I want to figure out how we change that and offer a whole variety of ways we actually today. What that is, I don't know. All I know is we need to get rid of the ethnic food aisle. But anyway, I'll shut up about goddamn ethnic food aisle. Before I get into my conversation with Bill Simmons, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of the Dave Chang Show is brought to you by Simply Safe. There are over 2 million burglaries reported every year. That's one every 13 seconds. But what's crazy is that only one in five homes have security. Maybe because most companies really don't make it easy. I hate locking my door. It drives my wife crazy. I never really think about security at all. But now that I have a child at home, I want to make sure that I've upgraded my whole security system. So that's why I was so happy to use Simply Safe in my apartment. That's why Simply Safe is my top choice, hands down. Simply Safe protects your whole home, every window, room, and door with 24 7 monitoring for just a fraction of the cost. And they make it easy on you. No contract, hidden fees, or fine print. Around-the-clock monitoring is just $15 a month. Plus, it's designed to blend right into your home. No wires or drilling. It's very easy to install. No wonder it's won a ton of awards from the likes of CNET and the New York Times wire cutter. Visit simplysafe.com slash Chang, and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now to simplysafe.com slash Chang so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G. Upgrade your security right now. Today's Dave Chang show is also brought to you by Indochino. I know I just went on this whole rant about the ethnic food aisle. I actually think we need something like Indochino in the ethnic food aisle, a place that custom tailors food for your needs. 
Indochino makes suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. It's not this generic stuff that you get in the supermarket. Guys love the wide selection of high quality fabrics and colors, not to mention the option to personalize the details, including your lapel, lining, pockets, and buttons. The process is easy. Just visit a stylist at one of their 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements. Or measure at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. Then submit your measurements with your design choices and relax while your suit gets professionally tailored. This week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering Chang at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for made-to-measure premium suit. Plus, shipping is free. Again, that's Indochino.com, promo code Chang, C-H-A-N-G, for any premium suit for just $369 and free shipping. Incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Let's get to my conversation with Bill Simmons. We are in the Podfather's office at the Ringer Studios, and I'm just now aware of how different this all is from when we first started to do these podcasts like a year and a half ago. Yeah, it's a little you bit couldn't even do now. an intro a year and a half no, ago. No, intros are very hard. I don't know why. Now you've done like, what, life. 75 pods? Oh, yeah. 70, something like that? And uh, I've been t- pre-opening, mid-opening, and post-opening diaries. There's been other restaurants opened. There are a lot of things. You I think- became the epicenter of Toronto in the finals. <laughs> you had like two of the hottest, best restaurants to go to. It was like a free-for-all trying to get in there. I went to one of the games. I was very surprised at how populated it was with the NBA world. Yeah. I was very happy, actually. It was a thing. Which, which restaurants were it? A lot of people visited Milk Bar. And then Kojin, the third floor, was um, just NBA execs. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know who they were. They're you should have just been walking through trying to get NBA gossip I to know, help your friend Bill too Simmons. Weird, too weird, too weird. But you didn't go to Toronto. No, I did. I sat out this year. We just had too much going on and it was too far away. And I hate going through customs. And my daughter was graduating eighth grade. So I had family. And it was just like, it was 17 different reasons. And I missed every finals game. What a finals to go to, too. I know. I went to the one game that they lost. The anyway, one game who lost? Toronto lost at home. Oh, yeah, yeah. Game two. Yeah, game two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you believed in Toronto before almost La- anyone yeah. else in America. Last year, I was saying, I think that Kawhi can make it happen. Although you did say Kyle Lowry might have been at Milk Bar a little too much. I, I know that he likes Milk Bar. Thank you, Kyle, for all the support to Milk Bar. But that Bar. turned out good. Maybe that was his secret sauce. It was a secret sauce. The, <laughs> the, 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 the carbohydrate power is carving up. So you opened... You opened a milk bar in LA at Mel- on Melrose. I didn't. Christina Tosi did. Well, you're involved. I'm just a passive investor now. Yeah. That's become a big deal. And there's a birthday cake shake that is just like straight diabetes. And it's fantastic. It's so good. The move to get is the cereal milk milkshake with cereal cornflake crunchies in it. Cornflake crunchies? Yeah. I don't even know what the name is anymore, but it's like candied cornflakes mixed in like a blizzard but it's not in the cereal milk milkshake. That sounds delicious. It's really delicious. So I've stopped doing coconut milk and almond milk. I'm going back to the basics. I had an epiphany. Stop cheating when you eat food. (laughs) If you're going to eat food, just just eat the food. Stop trying to like cheat and have like pop chips and all that stupid stuff. I'm out. Well, I'm out. We're going to have a real dinner tonight. We're going to Angler. We're going to Angler. Josh Skeens' new restaurant in the, the Beverly Center. I'm excited. I haven't even been to his restaurant in San Francisco, the angler there. So we, I haven't come on the pod in a while, and you always have these fantastic chefs on. But sometimes we don't get we don't get enough of like what Chang thinks about what's going on with shit. We're halfway through 2019. What are the dominant food stories right now? Um, what's happening? How will 2019 be remembered? That's a good question. I think that people in New York are upset that. The rest of the country is saying that New York's not the epicenter. Oh, that so they lost their title. But there's that's not also not true. There's a lot of great things happening in New York, but it's still about all these chefs moving to LA. We just came out of the James Beard Awards. Michelin guy just launched in LA, which we should talk about. But I think yeah. as a whole, it almost feels like this summer, summer blockbuster season. There's like really not that much going on, but there's stuff happening. A lot of fireworks, but but no real meat. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe there'll be some good movies, but I don't know. 
there hasn't been something extraordinary to happen quite yet. And I don't know if that's a sign of the times or just the fact that we're now at such an elevated level of understanding food that it's, you know, everyone's looking for the the Barcelona Olympics dream team. Yeah. And food. And that's just never going to happen again. But you do feel like that LA thing is continuing to be a thing. It's- I think it's better to eat in every city in America than it's ever been. Yeah. And that's what should be celebrated, that there's more new stories being told. And I think that's really the, if I could summarize the culinary landscape in America, it's the fact that new stories are hopefully being told by new chefs or chefs that have been around and they just didn't get the opportunity. But as a whole, there is no more groundbreaking restaurants. The most groundbreaking restaurant in America that's opened up the past five years is Vespertine. They just got two stars, the Michelin Guide. and that's probably one of the most important restaurants, if not the most important restaurant in Los Angeles. You may not love it, but it's so important. I, I still can't believe LA has that restaurant because it's a very important restaurant in the sense that it allows everyone else to do what they want to do. It's a very out there restaurant. Can you describe Vespertine in two sentences for the people who don't know what it is? It's not a restaurant. It's an entire experience developed by Chef Jordan Kahn and his wife, uh, apologize, I can't remember. And it's it's a restaurant that's designed around the building. The building's designed around the restaurant, the plateware, the whole thing. It's it's a total immersion in what they want you to experience. And is there uh, a menu? Do you have any choice in what I, you're I eating? I think you might have a choice, but I highly encourage you guys to go and check it out. It is not dinner in the normal way. You know, we haven't had a restaurant. I think there was a stretch where restaurants like Vespertine would open up year after year, and that's just not happening. What you have seen is in LA, you have Jeremy Fox opening up new restaurants. You have Bianco, Bianco and, and Chad Robinson. You have Jessica Coslow and Gabrielle Camara opening up Onda, which in Santa, is in Santa Monica. So Enrique Oliveira should be opening up in the year with Daniel Soto Ines, who's one of the best chefs in New York and the, in the world. So LA is still like got it going on. San Francisco still got it going on. Like California just is a great place to eat in general. We know what happened this winter. We got a lot of rain. That was a lot of rain. Good for the ingredients. I wasn't here this winter. I know. It's like the best ingredients we've ever been able to give you. I had a plum yesterday, and I had a Harry's Berry strawberry, and I almost cried. I literally couldn't believe how delicious they were. The vegetation slash scenery, like you drive down the PCH, it's nice and green and happy. It's amazing. I have... uh, Totally California is sinking in the ocean, but the vegetation is great. The fruits are just insane. Yeah. I couldn't believe how perfect this little plum was. So it's good to be back again, trying to get back here on a more permanent basis. So this was a uh, impromptu podcast. One of the other things that's changed is, at least out here, the restaurants are lining up with different food delivery services. They're doing <sighs> exclusivity. And it feels like that's going to be more of a thing, almost like in TV where you bring your thing to Hulu. Right. And it's like Hulu, where Dave Chang is. It's like that with with food delivery. And not just food delivery. I think it's with reservation systems now, too. Mm. But that's a, actually the amazing point, Bill, about the food industry. That would probably be, if you had to really think about the biggest level thing that's happening, it would be the economics in the industry driven by food delivery. And I've started two food delivery businesses. They were acquired, but they weren't like crazy successful. And it's a very hard business. The last thing I ever thought that people would get back into this game. And there, whether people realize it or not, there are a lot of companies, very, very heavily capitalized, that are trying to carve out and dominate the food delivery scape and how food gets made and transported to you. But I wonder, are restaurants going to get to a point where when they open, like when you're conceiving a restaurant and you open it, you almost have a part of the restaurant is just for food delivery to get it in and out. Well, that's it's almost like a to-go window, but it's for Postmates. Exactly. And that's what's already happening. But I think that the real... So Travis uh, Kalanick from Uber started the thing called Cloud Kitchen. There are two or three other companies that are trying to do this sort of ghost kitchen model where you order one or two things and you don't even have a physical location. Yeah. And then it just gets delivered to you. 
I don't know if it's going to work. I'm not smart enough to predict what that looks like. I don't think that that's the future of dining per se, but. But let, let's say you did major domo right now. No delivery. You have no delivery major domo, but let's say it would became part of. I would not. Here's the thing. So you wouldn't do it. I think the economics of delivery for restaurants is broken. And these delivery companies or these companies that are working off these restaurants, right? They're taking 30% off the top line. It's not a sustainable model. Someone has to create a better model because there's really only one person that's crushing it. Like I read recently, like um, Google made like $4 billion off the media last year. That's sort of what is happening with the food industry, with these food delivery places. They're not taking any of the liability or any of the, the labor issues, but they're profiting off of everyone else. And I think that's going to change. I don't know how, but personally, and I'm happy to tell people my plan, like I'm not going to bet on changing my restaurants to make it easier to get food picked up. Because the better margins for you is the person comes to your restaurant. It's not even better margins. They're they're ordering drinks. I'll make a restaurant that's specific for delivery. But like there's certain restaurants. Oh, so you would never even have a customer. No, maybe like we might have something like, um, I don't know. Maybe there's something like we have the thing called Bong Bar in New York. Maybe that gets delivered. But I will only do food that's meant to be delivered. Like if we open up, for instance, we open a pizza shop. Yeah. I'm not going to do Neapolitan. I've always wanted to open this thing called Korean Pizza Kitchen, right? Like California Pizza Kitchen, but not. Oh, Isaac's He's loving this. Oh, my God. Hose down Isaac. And like, because I know that's going to be good delivered, I would definitely figure out some way to get that to people, to get it to your home or whatever. But I I wouldn't do that for Major Domo. Because you want people to go there. Correct. And experience it as a restaurant. My advice to restaurateurs and chefs is you got to wonder with food, right? We just mentioned that everyone knows more about food. Food is better than ever before. Everyone has access to the same things. The only thing that's going to differentiate you versus anyone else is, is it better? And I think there's a handful of kinds of dining that will not be affected, but actually will potentially benefit from all this delivery. Sushi, barbecue, Shit that you can't get delivered, essentially. Why don't you just open a restaurant called Ghost Kitchen? It's actually a great name for... I think it's... It's a great name for a restaurant. It already exists. Ghost Kitchens already exist. No, but I'm saying you actually call it Ghost Kitchen. (laughs) It is a good name. That's a really good name. Mark that one down, Isaac. I don't know if I will do Ghost Kitchen. I don't know if I believe in it. But you believe in... Selling chicken sandwiches at Brooklyn Nets games. Yes. Wait, it's not that different than that, right? It's designed for that because Fuka was designed for delivery, believe it or not. It wasn't even supposed to be concessions. But if you did Fuku as ghost kitchen and it was just all the Fuku staples. Again, let me, thanks for calling me out. You're right. I might do that. My stomach wants you to do that. If I do. I should be able to get a chicken sandwich from you when I want. If I do ghost kitchen, it'll be because the restaurants were designed for it specific. I don't want to have like a restaurant like Major Domo where stuff is just being sent out because we have a restaurant called Ghost Kitchen, you know, and no one even knows that. Isaac, you like that name? I do like that name. That's a great name. But the future is going to be the foods probably made as it gets to your door. Well, so the most, you've talked about Spoon by H a bunch of times in this podcast already, but that's been kind of the most interesting Thing that's open this year in LA because, but it's been around. It's been no, around I know six it, but, or I guess that's taken off this year because they just don't care. It's <laughs> like we make good food. You come, you'll wait in line for it. It's very old school. It's very like 1970s, 1980s. We have some tables. Sorry, we don't have any open right now. We're not taking reservations either. And here it is, and it's just like it. It's it beautiful. takes me back. I love that place yeah. so much. Obviously. And I do. I think she's Giannis Antetokounmpo. There's no favors no favors going in. It's just like you're a human being and you're here and I, you're going to wait in line like everyone else. I hope she gets a bigger restaurant because she deserves it. But That restaurant's too small for how good the like, food is. But I think about the restaurants that I've like talked about and loved. It's like Cassell's, like Sunandang, yeah. you know, Mapo Kalbi, all these places. These are places that I still frequent and I love. And the common thread in all of that is like, there are people that just want to make good food and they're run by good people. And, you know. Well, I'm going to blow them up. I hope not. There's this new place called Joe the Juice. 
That's not new. Or not, or it's new to me because I just found out about this. Isaac, what are we going to do about What are we going to do It's on Melrose. (laughs) It's new to me. I'm not saying it's new. I shouldn't it's literally like place. saying like, there's this new band called like Migos. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> if you said that to your son, you would freak out. No. I had never known about it till this year. They opened one on Melrose. They're very popular. I you love like Joe the Juice. I like their juices and I like their sandwiches and they deliver on Postmates. So I'll get a delivery for like three days and I'll just have the spicy tuna sandwich three days in a row and then two more juices in the fridge. Oh my gosh. It's great. I like, the juice. I like Joe the Juice when I have Good to Isaac, would you agree that Joe the Juice was created for someone like Bill? Absolutely. Yes. 1,000%. That's fine. I don't like having heavy lunches. I like feeling healthy during the day. My bad. I'm old. No, I, I, I'm not. I'm just... I think the biggest thing that's happened this decade in LA is the heavy lunch... It's disappeared. It's dying. I still think some people have it, but I think... But I think it's dying. I see with my staff. I no one, no one people eats don't want to fucking chow down at lunch and then be in a coma for two hours. No, sweet green, sweet green rules. It's the sweet greenization of. They really did. That's got to be one of the major decade topics, right? No, sweet green. They've navigated this whole food industry better than most. So, I'm really proud of those. People want to chow down at, at dinner. It's like and, I'm going to chow down once today, and it's going to be at dinner. That's the thing that I now understand more about Los Angeles is the people eat. We've talked about it, whether it's because of ride sharing or not, people eat out for dinner and they eat a lot and they drink a lot. And I think and then they LA, wake up the next morning and they work out. Yeah. They yeah. Work and then it they, off. they have a uh, salad for lunch, but LA is a great dining town. I mean, I mean that eating out in LA is as good as for me, right? The shit that I want to eat. I don't think there's anything quite like it. Here's the hole in LA's game right now. We have no North End. In Boston type of stuff? There's no North mean? End. New York has a North End. What's a North End? The Little Italy. Boston has the North End. There's no, there's no like, here's the Italian section. It's just kind of spread out, but there's no there's like- There's a ton of Italian food though. Yeah, it's spread out though. There's no, I'm going to this two block radius and it's just fucking awesome Italian. Like in Boston, you go to the North End- and it's like, you're there. You walk around, you could spend 12 hours there. Isaac, you, you gave a look. What was the look about this? No, I was just thinking about like John and Vinny's and that whole like area it does have a lot of Italian food. But I do agree there's no like one place you Italian. go for it. Koreatown yeah. is Koreatown. But there's a history You go to with- Koreatown and it's like, that's like- a thing, but there has there been a large Italian population in LA? Well, that's what, so my wife was asking me about this and I- I think the, I think the Italians were coming here. I could say this because I'm half Italian, but they just like to eat. So I think they stopped around Chicago. They're on their way in the 1800s, but they kept stopping and making meatballs and making canola. And then it was just like in Chicago, they were like, "Ah, fuck it, let's not go any further." And that was it. We Italian like to eat. We like to eat and take ends. naps. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah. they couldn't have made it all the way across the country. Um, more stuff for us to talk about. <laughs> Still just trying to wrap my head around trying to explain that to someone. <laughs> <laughs> Another uh, topic for us. I told you when you had a kid, it would be like an athlete tearing an ACL. Yeah. That you'd never be the same. Correct. You'd never be as productive. Correct. Was I right or wrong? I'm working more than ever, though. It's crazy. Really? Yeah. I, I am not. I mean, Are you as locked in? I think so. But the, what you're right is I'm spending more time at home, and you're definitely right on the travel. All I want to do is spend time with my son. And take Instagram photos of him. Yes. Dress him like a little tiny emperor. <laughs> that was his 100-day birthday. Um, <laughs> that was, it was hilarious. He's so cute. But. It's really, it's been an incredible addition to your Instagram. I enjoyed your Instagram, <laughs> but now it's like another level now. Because now I get food and baby pictures. Everyone loves him. Um, yeah, it's been different because I'm trying to be there, right? So, yeah. But I'm on the road, and the whole pr- aspect of taking care of the baby, it's challenging and all of these things, but it's not crazy. Like, I thought it was going to be way harder. It's no. hard, but— It sounds like you have an easier kid. Maybe. I think it's harder when your kid's a pain in the ass. Yeah, I guess knock on wood. He's pretty great. <laughs> He's pretty low management, and uh, you know my wife's been great. And having a mother-in-law, God bless her. Although you don't know, there's another stage coming because I remember when Ben Simmons could start walking, and then he would just wake up at five. That's when we called him the CEO. He just wake up at five, 
leave his bedroom, he'd slam the door and he'd walk in our room and he's like ready to start his day and it completely changed our lives for the worse. You have this creature in your house who's just up at five, ready to roll. Make me waffles now. It's maybe a torn ACL Achilles. I don't know. All I know is you're right. Everything's different. I'm just still in it. You're happier. I, I'm happier. He's great. You know, you're in charge of another human being now. He relies on you completely and totally. I'm way more efficient with my time. Yeah, you have to. Be. That's what's actually been amazing. I don't have time to overthink shit. Like if I have a meeting, I'm just like, hey, I actually have 30 minutes. This is what we have to go over. We don't have time to think about every possible scenario. Give me what you got right now. Great. I got to go. And I think things are running better. I guess the good news is none of your sports teams are good. So you don't have to worry about going to playoff games. Um, this is, this important anything. It's just like you basically don't have to follow sports. Yeah. There's, you can't root for Thanks, the, Dan Snyder. Dan Snyder. Asshole. <laughs> Seriously. Wait. I, well, when Hugo, how old is he now? He's like three and a half months. So he's a year away from when your wife starts making food that you end up eating half of. Yeah, no, I'm- Like wait, little chicken fingers. And it's can, like, how do you not eat that chicken finger, Hugo? And then you eat it. I'm really, that's what I'm mostly It's curious. dangerous. That's an extra five pounds you got to be aware of. <laughs> he's a- uh, It's like that macaroni know, and cheese looks delicious. What are you doing? But basically I've been a butler. Yeah. That's what I've been. I mean, I don't produce milk. I, I don't. Yeah, you know the dads I mean? are useless. Dads I told are, you this. You did say all these things, so I'm trying to make myself. You're as just u- setting picks. Exactly. I'm trying to make myself as useful as possible, and uh, feeling good about my efforts. <laughs> you know, it's whatever. It's whatever I can do right now. But everyone's basically said is like, you're useless. You're not the only person, and it's only going to start to be meaningful to you at age two <laughs> when they start like moving around. Yeah, and talking a little bit. So. Well, really, when they start laughing at your jokes, that's when it gets, that's when it becomes real. Because you realize you have your own instant laugh track who just thinks everything you do is hilarious. But when I see you with your daughter or like Ben on the trampoline or whatever, I look at that and I'm like, man, like, that's seems, crazy. That's like miles away. Yeah. I have yeah. no idea how you got to this point already. It's yeah. wild to me. But it's been really good. I think that if I had children when I was younger, I don't know. I think I would have been terrible at it, but. There are advantages at having it later in life for sure. It'd be funny if he wasn't interested in food at all. Like how, like how Ben doesn't really follow sports that intensely. He just follows <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> he, this, this dude likes eating milk, though. I tell you what, my God. He loves that milk. He is a big boy. What has been, what has been your, your wife's uh, post-childbirth food predilections? Well, What's been going on? You know, we we actually recorded a podcast with Grace, and uh, we got in there a little bit. You know, it's given me a greater understanding what women have to go through in life. The thing that I think she's had to sacrifice the most, obviously, changing what she has to eat when she was pregnant with Hugo. But I had no anticipation that her whole diet would have to change. The breast milk. Yeah. Wow, I feel so bad. Yeah. She can't you, eat spicy foods. Can't put the som sauce in there. Yeah, no som sauce, no cabbage, nothing that's might going to give her gas. So it's a real sacrifice, man. Really, it's a real sacrifice for her. I think I feel really bad that she can't indulge in the things because she loves spicy food. She just can't eat it. And I think it, well, she's got how many, like five months left, right? Yeah. Unless she know. wants to be the mom that's breastfeeding the kid. The kid's like five. <laughs> Game of Thrones Game style. Of Thrones style. <laughs> Whatever that kid's name was. I I don't know. I keep on looking at uh, this whole fucking process and I'm like, wow, it's really amazing what mom can do and how relatively useless guys are in this whole process. Yeah, childbirth really is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I I just can't can't fathom how painful it was. And also just then this kid pops out. It's like, hey. Like when Grace is holding Hugo in front of her, I'm like, this thing was inside you. It's just it's so crazy. crazy. It's really crazy. And now you're like, daughter just graduated eighth grade. It's crazy. When you really start thinking, yeah. like, how the hell? My daughter's like 5'8". What's happening? I'm, yeah. I'm excited to be part of the club. I was able to celebrate my first Father's Day. Yeah. That was fun. It's emotional, right? Your, oh. your baby gets you gifts. And meanwhile, the kid can barely see and can't talk. It's yeah. like, hey, dad, I got you this card. Yeah. And I totally Love know Hugo. I totally know that didn't happen, but I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah, thanks, Hugo. <laughs> what a thoughtful gift. Before we go on, 
Let's take another quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by Square. Paying your employees is an important part of running a business. With Square Payroll, businesses can pay their W-2 employees and 1099 contractors online in just a few clicks. Square Payroll is built for flexibility, so whether you're running payroll for the first time or switching for another provider, they've got you covered. Payroll in the restaurant business, and I'm sure in any other business, is a giant pain in the butt because it's just so much paperwork. There's so many things to keep track of, and that's why Square Payroll is the one for you because it just makes it way easier. It seamlessly imports time cards from the Square Point of Sale app or other time card partners instead of having to add hours manually. It even helps calculate and pay out credit card tips. They also take care of annual and quarterly payroll tax withholdings, payments, and filings at no extra cost. Getting started is easy. Just enter your company's basic info, add your team members' information, and Square Payroll will handle the rest. Their fair and flexible pricing scales with your business. Square Payroll costs just $29 per month plus $5 per employee per month. Square Payroll also offers benefits like health insurance, 401k, workers' comp, and pre-tax spending. It really is a great program for your employees. Visit square.com slash go slash Chang to get three free months of Square Payroll. That's again, square.com slash go slash Chang for three months free. And now back to the show. Is it true you're playing golf again? Yeah, I heard. I know you heard that rumor. That's another big development. So if you move here, that's going to be great for me. So Buddy Christensen at Golfdom, right? He worked with my dad for a long time. My dad was in the golf business. My friend who did me a huge favor, giant, giant favor, said, if I help you out, you need to play golf. And that was the deal. Okay. And I have not played since 2003 in Ireland. And even then, that was like probably my... I probably had a handful of rounds in 10 years since then. So maybe but one round you of golf. You used to be really good at golf. It used to be very good a long time ago, but I probably played one round in 20 years, maybe something like that. Yeah. So I was like, shit, all right, I'll do this. And uh, I need golf clubs. I, I can't, I don't want to go to a play a, a club, his club and get rentals. Yeah. I have to. So somehow Callaway helped us out. Somehow. Not somehow. They helped out. They gave me this whole set. Callow is the best. Of course they did. I was shocked. Here's the thing. The last time I played golf. Yeah. This is insane. There were metal spikes on my golf shoes. <laughs> I, I was the same way when I did my comeback. How about, how about the wedges? They have numbers. So you're like, what is a 56? What does that mean? Or 52, 56, yeah, 60? But that's not the thing that I was most worried about. I, I, I pulled out. The drivers now are just massive. Yeah. And you can change the angle and the hosel. That's yeah. insane. I, yeah. I honestly don't even understand how that's legal. It shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. And then there's this wood that was like 20 degrees, 24 degrees. Like, what the fuck is that? Is that like a five wood, four wood, three wood? Oh, and like the three iron? They replaced the three iron with yeah, the wood. Yeah, three irons died. No, I don't like that. It's much easier to hit. I don't know about that. It just looks unsightly. Yeah. I don't like looking at that goddamn hybrid. So I didn't have a chance to, I'm not trying to be ungrateful. The clubs are amazing. I was just not prepared for all the irons. And when I used to play, yeah, I only had a driver and I went from one iron to L wedge. No one even has one iron or two iron or three iron. Anymore. Yeah, there's no wood irons. So um, how was the temper though? It got bad on a couple holes. Did it? Bad, like people got uncomfortable. No, watching you, or you're just silently. I lost, I lost like eight yourself. balls or ten balls on the round, just on some shank drives. But I was even after five holes. Wow, which was weird, <laughs> considering I'm not played. Yeah, we played at uh, Bayonne in uh, New Jersey, and uh, no mulligans. It was a pure. I was like, "What's going on? This is wild." Then it fell apart. Yeah, it fell apart. And then on the back nine, I uh, I reached the the longest par five and two and had an Eagle try and made a birdie. And then par three, I birdied that. And I was like, what's going on? And then basically my short game looked like I hadn't played in 13 years. It's the hardest thing to come back. I'm struggling um, with it right now. I felt like if I had, (laughs) this is what I felt like if I practice every day. Yeah. 
for like nine years and I started playing competitively, amateur tournaments and stuff. The long-term goal is this, to try out for the senior tour. How cool would that be? I was even thinking smaller scale where just like trying to be competent for the Pebble Beach Celebrity Pro-Am. Oh, I guess I could do that. You can guess how many Asian American celebrities are in the Pebble Beach Celebrity <laughs> Pro-Am. But I, here's the problem. It's like, if you're good can at you golf- Can you think of one, Isaac? You'd be, you'd be like the Jackie Robinson of the Celebrity Pro-Am. If you're good at golf, you just that's all you do. And I yeah. think it's a bad look. What's really amazing about Steph Curry is that he's good at golf. Yeah. Considering how much he has to practice basketball. I just, I've been playing more just because I just want to be competent. So like I can go with house and play Pebble Beach in February and not worry about shooting like a 140. I knew that Joe House was probably going to hear this news. And my one of my first goals, because I'm a hyper-competitive person, was I'll have to play with Joe House and I have to beat Joe House. That was my first, one Fair. of my first things. Fair. The thing is, he would be, he's such an agreeable guy. He'd be happy if you, if you beat him. He'd <laughs> be okay with it. I can't, for the life of me, look at golf in a fun way. Unless I'm blind drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I have I to like 12 this. beers in a What a year for you. You had a son. You're playing I golf. No, I couldn't believe, I still can't believe I Lynn played Sanity golf. wins the title. Tiger Woods is back, leading to you stealing the Alan Yang joke, but not stealing it. But then he still feels like I credited it. He got mad. <laughs> got mad i credited you for his joke but he wasn't mad but i feel like he kind of was <laughs> i definitely credited him on the joke i don't know why he would get mad at me <laughs> man what a year crazy golf. um wait golf we, is definitely the craziest we gotta talk about the michelin stars oh yeah fuck this would be the last thing major domo somehow didn't get a michelin star no I, know. I don't know what was going on i don't really understand the michelin stars but i guess it's like the emmys where they hand out awards but it doesn't necessarily reflect what the best tv shows were yeah, I don't know what to say because there's two outcomes if I talk about this, which I will. It sounds like you're bitching about it. Sounds like you, I'm bitching yeah. about it. And it also sounds like, well, Dave, you can bitch about it now because like you can, which is also, I guess, true, right? But I, I think that there's a way to do it where it's better. If I could imagine a better representation of restaurants and how they're recognized for the hard work, then why wouldn't I want to like say that let's try to explore a better way to do it. So yeah. I've been joking around for years about doing some awards thing that's better. The I, Chef Emmys. Not even the Chef Emmys. I swear to God, inspired by Bill Simmons. Okay. All of your talk, every year you talk about who you're going to vote for on- Taking it seriously yeah, for all NBA, seriously. all that stuff. All of that stuff. From Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year- First, second, third team, all NBA teams. So rookie of the year, you have the all the all NBA chef teams. Yeah. Three teams, first team, second but it's team. Not about third chef, team. It's the restaurants. And what I love most about the NBA and to a lesser degree major league baseball with the Hall of Fame voting is that it's transparent. How much did voting transparently change the NBA awards? Oh, when we could find out who yeah. fucked up? We completely changed it. For the it better. It took right? all the agendas out of it. I mean, the only thing, the finals MVP, Hubie Brown voted for Fred Van Vliet, which was insane, but he's 130 years old. So everybody <laughs> was like, that. Ah, Hubie's old. That's fine. But that was a disaster. But for the most part, we don't have moments like that anymore. So the transparency really helped. And I, the Michelin thing, I'm like, who voted for this? Like, we, how are these, the LA restaurants? It was just confusing. It's impossible, I think to accurately do the Michelin guide. And I don't want to go about the pros and cons of it. We've talked about it and we'll continue to talk about it. But I mean, how accurate can it be? I don't know. Cause like, here's the thing I can see people complaining about it, but I'm also incredibly happy for my chef friends that have benefited from it. Yeah. Incredibly. So do you think there is a benefit though? Does it affect a restaurant to 100%. get a Michelin star? But how does it affect it? Like, I don't know what the Michelin stars are. I didn't even know until I knew you. It's street cred. Street cred. Yeah. Does street cred help a restaurant get more customers? Yeah, it does. But street cred with the other chefs helps customers? Well, no, it's street cred also to a specific level of dining. Okay. Right? And that's what I think the Michelin Guide is for. People forget that it's a French travel guide built to promote tires and driving. There's a specific kind of clientele I think that the Michelin Guide is looking for. And listen, in some ways, it's the best thing out there. In some ways, it's not. There are articles. I think Eater wrote a good article about how the California Tourism Guide in Sacramento gave them like at least half a million dollars, probably more, 
to like encourage them to come to California or at least Southern California. So everyone that's complaining about the mission guide from LA, I think they've all nailed it, that it was not the right way to do it. I'm going to leave it open if they can get better or not. But I've always said this. I don't think LA needs the Michelin guide. Well, I'm going to go further. I think the Michelin guide made a lot more sense 20 years ago. But now I personally feel like the eater list is the most important thing now, because if I Google LA's best restaurants or LA's best new restaurants, the eater list and a couple other lists come up. And I think that just has more sway. I think people are much more likely to Google LA best new restaurant than anything else. And whatever the three lists are that comes up has the most power right now. I find out new restaurants all the time by doing that. And I don't necessarily always go to them, but a couple of times I'll be like, oh shit, that's near my house. I got to try that. I didn't go to the Michelin guide 20 years ago. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know about it till Burnt with Bradley Cooper, <laughs> which we're going to do rewatchables God of at some damn point. It, that goddamn movie has referenced yeah. more than anything else. Cooper. Um, <laughs> lost my chair of thought because I kept on thinking about that fucking movie. But the Michelin Guide, where it really fucked up was taco trucks, Mexican food, Korean food, basically all the food that Los Angelinos like to eat. There are street carts and stalls in Thailand and Asia that have one Michelin star. It just shows to me that they don't get Los Angeles, right? They get a certain kind of restaurant, like Ennaka getting two stars and Providence getting two stars, Vespertine getting two stars. And this is why it's so confusing to talk about. I was so fucking happy for them. But simultaneously, I was like, Major Domo getting getting a Bib Gourmand. I was like, great. I love Bib Gourmands because it means that you're good. You're just whatever. Like, I don't care. I honestly don't care anymore about the mission guide, right? What's the highest you've gotten to? Two. Which restaurant was that? Co. And I'll, I'll be honest, I've always wanted three stars. If I get three stars, I'll be happy. But I'm also like, I don't care if I don't get it anymore. Maybe what I want to do have the is have the longest tenure of two stars in the history of the mission guide ever. You did two stars chip on the shoulder. I did. Now I'm like, well, like again, Russell like, Westbrook. Co, 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 Co is basically run by Sue and Sean in New York. I have very little to do with it right now. But if it ever gets it, great. Or if I get a restaurant that has three stars, great. But I don't want Ghost that Kitchen. Pressure. Maybe Ghost Kitchen. But you don't want to go to a restaurant that's three star dining. It's not fun. I don't even fully understand it. You're not three a three star. I would have assumed like Providence, those types of restaurants are the ones that end up getting three star. Yeah. Where every single detail is just immaculate, but it's a certain experience. I personally like to go to restaurants that have a little more life to them. I can go with my friends or I can go on a date. The food is fantastic. There's good cocktails. And I feel like I had a really fun time somewhere for three hours. I don't need to like go to some, you know, super foofy to have some experience. You just described something that the LA, I think a lot of people don't get, except for people, I guess, from Southern California. This comfortable dining experience with great food is what you want without the sort of stuffy surroundings that you would get in a traditional fancy restaurant. What people I feel like the Michigan guy may have missed, maybe may, they definitely fucking missed, was just because it's a comfortable environment doesn't mean the level of execution or the quality of ingredients or the desire to make something tremendously delicious is less high than a fancy fucking restaurant. Right. It just doesn't exist. If you have a restaurant where everyone's wearing sommelier taste vins and a tuxedo, yeah, there's some places like that, but they're institutions like Dantana's or something like that. Some fancy new restaurant is Dantana's. not going to work in LA. You don't like Dantana's? No, I do. It's great. I, chicken, great chicken parm. Unbelievable chicken parm. You should just do a chicken parm show. Yeah, I can't believe I you didn't do a chicken parm rating system. Should I do my Michelin chicken parm? Yes. Right now, right off the top of your head, who's a three mission star no, chicken park? Only people in LA would know these places. It's fine. doesn't matter. I'm going to flip this on you. I don't think I've had a three-star chicken parm. <laughs> I'd have a lot of two stars. Wow. The three-star one, I feel like, would change my life. I'll tell you a couple of things I need, though. Oh, I'm challenging the most competitive guy alive. I mean, I don't think you could make a good chicken parm, but if you like really tried, you know, you're not Italian. You can't do it. You do some like 
half-assed, like you'd mix some Korean stuff. It would be like a Korean chicken parm. Wouldn't it be a real chicken parm? I don't think you could do it personally. But if you if you tried, if you tried, I don't think you could do it. I don't think you can make real Italian meatballs. But if you tried, if you tried, if you tried to cross over into the Italian world, thin chicken is a must. It's got to be thin. The mistake people make with the chicken parm is they don't pound it enough. I need pound, and then it, it's got to be bread, but not too much bread. It's got to be fried perfectly. I need the cheese and sauce to interact with the chicken. It can't be like one of those things where you did the chicken, then you put some cheese on it and some sauce. Like I like the ones where they bake it. Not they fried? Do, they do the, you no, fry it. No, they fry it. it. They do the whole thing. But at the tail end, they bake it. So it all becomes one kind of big awesome entity. Again, you don't, you'll never be able to do it because you're an Italian, but- if you ever could, those are the things I would suggest. Like if you're ever just fucking around. I'll have to talk to my shrink about this. <laughs> if you I like, ever put you like how I Jedi mind trick him? <laughs> yeah. yeah, now he's yeah. going to spend all <laughs> night making this. I'm going to spend three months saying, fuck you, Bill. I'm not going to do it. And then I'm going to find some way to <laughs> yeah. make chicken farm and meatballs. You'll yeah. do. You'll throw one Chang thing in there, though. Meatballs, I already told you what to do with meatballs. Meatballs are easy. That's beneath I'm, you. I'm, you just I'm, put bread in them. <laughs> Put bread in them. You got to double cook them. What cook them in the sauce would make a transcendent three star chicken parm? What would it be? So for all the chefs out there that are listening, like I just this told you, you didn't say you, anything. No, you said I, fried, bake it, thin. You have to pound the chicken. You can't pound it so that it becomes like. But you're not talking about the breadcrumbs. You're not talking about the sauce. Well, that you're part not I don't know. I don't understand that part. The sauce has to be. Out of control. And it's got to be like old school Italian sauce. So, like the size of this thing. Do you want it huge? Do you want it small? Bigger. I think the sauce has to be like how you would make sauce where you've cooked it in meatballs for, you know, at least like five, six hours. It can't be just like, oh, I made some sauce. And the sauce is important and the baking, everything together is important. Okay. before we Also, you- what goes with chicken parm is a great question because nobody's ever fully been able to answer that. Do you the like the side, is- side of pasta? Yeah, people just like, oh, pasta should go with that. And I'm like, are we sure? Are we sure pasta should be the the accompaniment? Because I, I don't agree. A, I think it's some sautéed vegetables. Yeah, it's vegetables. Yeah. That's the thing. Like a basically sautéed spinach. You can't go wrong with that. Or like, it's like a vegetable medley and there's like some broccoli and some zucchini, and and but it's buttered a certain way. Joe so and the Juice, are you hearing this right now? Joe and the Juice, they Get know. Get this on the menu right they now. <laughs> vegetable medley with a very thin... I'll tell you another Chicken thing. Chicken parm. Don't sleep on this. Mashed potatoes. I'm not worried about this. Mashed potatoes done the right way. What is the right way, Bill the Simmons? Tell parm. me what is the right way. No, then, because there's different types of mashed potatoes, right? There's the super thick ones. Some people make it like almost thin, like a little watery. Some people put cheese in them. I'm saying old school whip mashed potatoes. You put that next to the chicken parm. You put some sauteed vegetables next to it. And I think that's a dish. All guys like chicken parm is my theory. I think <laughs> it's as guy friendly as you get. Guys see chicken parm. Rosillo and Kyle, they come over to watch the Sunday night games when we were doing the afterpods. Be like, what do you want to get? Where, where should we order from? John and Vinny's? I'm getting a chicken parm. Chicken parm, I'll get that too. Guys just follow the leader with chicken parm. Isaac, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think white guys like chicken parm. I'm yeah. not sure about. Other That's, ethnicities. But. <laughs> well, I'm talking like from white guy experience. Chicken farm is delicious. I am a white guy. But all I know is this. I'm now, I'll just say it. I will. Next time you come to Major Domo, I will make you mashed no, potatoes. They, I'm going to make you a meatball and a chicken parm. This should be a ringer video. <laughs> Bill challenges Chang, right? I just, yeah, I just tell like, you, we can't you can't have, make certain We can't things. have you eat it and review it. We need someone like Kyle. Kyle yeah. would be good. Yeah, Kyle would be good because he's going to like everything. Can you, I forget if we've talked about this, but grilled cheeses? It's, again, easy. What bread do you pick? Depends. And how, how big is the grilled cheese? Any of the, you can make any bread into a delicious grilled cheese. You just need to saturate it in fat. My mom makes the best grilled cheese I've ever had, but I think it's because she uses like seven gallons of butter. Yeah. Because it's really one of those things. The more butter and the more kind of burnt is, but not too burnt, the better the grilled cheese is, but it's like a heart attack. Grilled cheese. Do you put bacon in it? What do you put in it? No, then it would be a grilled cheese with bacon. I'm going to tell you the best sandwich out there. I don't even make a grilled cheese anymore. It's just a BLT. 
BLT. We've talked about we this. Talk, it is the BLT is magnificent. The greatest sandwich. I'm gonna I gotta do another cookbook soon, and it'll probably be stuff that I make at home. The only sandwich I'm ever gonna put in there is the BLT because it's the only sandwich you need. And it's, it's the so only good. sandwich that's good year round. It actually tastes better with shitty tomatoes. <laughs> it is another one that most people will eat a BLT. Not everyone, though. Here's the thing. It has to be iceberg. Well, they'd have to eat meat. It has to be iceberg. It can't be like fancy lettuce. Yeah. It doesn't work with an heirloom tomato because it's not about the tastiness of the tomato. You want that mealiness because you're looking for the texture. Yeah. Not the tomato flavor. There's nothing to do about tomato flavor. It's a mayonnaise sandwich with texture. That's what about the, the wedge blue cheese salad? What's your move with that? Now we're really going. This yeah. is it took us a while, but now I feel like well, this here's the thing. Really- I'm not going to say anything about the wedge. What I think is iceberg. Iceberg is the best lettuce out there. But you you're in the mood for a salad that has blue cheese and some bacon bits on it. What do you want in that salad? Is it a wedge where I have to now cut the wedge myself? Do you feel like it's the restaurant's obligation to We've mix it up? We've had this conversation. We've had this conversation. I, don't I think a wedge on salad pot. only makes sense in a steakhouse. That's it. I like the wedges, but when it's two smaller wedges versus the one giant unwieldy wedge that you need like to, you know, an actual steak knife to cut and then it's spread the wedge, the Bucci sprays. Here's something that you need to introduce to your salad repertoire. Yeah. Is sauteed iceberg lettuce. Sauteed. Mm, delicious. Crumbled blue cheese. You could, but you could literally just saute it with like salt, pepper, and some olive oil. It'd be delicious. What about Crumbled blue cheese versus creamy blue cheese. Some restaurants will put both in the same dressing. You know what? That's a good salad. Sautéed iceberg lettuce with bacon bits, crumbled blue cheese. What and, kind of tomatoes? Like those little tiny Yeah, those ones? little guys. Little guys? And some like uh, sliced shallots or a pickled red onion. You know what has to stay the fuck out of the salad? Avocado. That doesn't belong in the salad. I'm nothing against avocados, but stay out of this salad. I agree. We 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 can agree on the salad. What kind of onions? Red onions. Red onions. Yeah. You like cooking the, them or are they raw? Lightly pickled. Little vinegar. Last question. Then I know you have to go. What's your milkshake strategy? Do I make milkshake? You're I don't making. Make, you're making. Your own, no. Grace says, "I'm tired of feeding this kid. Can you make me an awesome milkshake? Go to the store." Get some ingredients and make your best milkshake for me right now. What do you make? I don't know. That's the hardest question you ever asked me. Making milkshakes is fucking hard. I don't know. I have no idea. Do you go thick or you go thin? I don't know. I think I try to make a blizzard. So you go thick. So you basically a lot of ice cream, put vanilla syrup in there? You know, I'll tell you what happened. Grace actually did ask this. Yeah. And I didn't make it, but it gives you an insight as to why I will never make it at home. She's like, I want a Frosty. Ooh. And I was like, that's completely random. I love it. Yes. And we Postmated two giant Frosties. And it was a brilliant idea. Dessert Postmates surprisingly well. Frosties has so much stabilizer in it. And stabilizer, without getting too technical, there are things that prevent it from melting, too. It is such a good thing to travel. It just will never, ever melt. You know what else everybody likes along the lines of chicken parm? Although Isaac made me feel like I was a racist. because <laughs> no, that's not what I was saying. No, that's a fine, right? That's not what I meant. Um, well played, Isaac. Mochi. Mochi ice cream balls. Mochi ice cream balls. I just want to meet the person who's like, no, fuck that. I'm not eating the mochi ice cream ball. It is delicious. First of all, you get every kid 14 and under. He's like, hey, do you guys want to order some mochi ice cream balls? No kid is like, no, I don't. Like, I've never met the kid who doesn't like those. Adults like them. They can have different weird flavors in them. I never feel like I have enough that you can order like 10 and it still feels like I could have probably had 10 more. But you know what's best about the mochi balls? What? Here's the trick. Again, these also have a lot of stabilizers in them. So they will stay rock hard for a long time. Try to get them soft. Wait. Wait. Don't like, eat them rock well, hard. The, good, the better restaurants don't serve them rock hard right. though. They're usually But like if you're going to have them at home, just like let them... The better restaurants also are making them. Promise you that. There's probably less than five restaurants in America that make mochi that ice cream That are making from them from scratch? Everything else is bought How from the same company. How you make them from scratch? You can. It's just a pain in the ass, which is why you'll never see one of my restaurants. Yeah, ever. it's not worth it. Maybe it's co cost, or something like that. But Cost benefit. If you let it come to a little bit like 
room temp, it's just infinitely better. Yeah, that's the best are tip. You, are you pick up the mochi ball with your fingers or do you do spoon? Do I eat a fucking pizza with a fork and a knife? No, of course you use well, all your fingers. I bring this up because I've seen people. Do you eat with a spoon? No, I fucking pick it up with my fingers. God. Some people out there, and they know who they are, will try to do, like be the fork and a spoon and if try to like. Anyone's listening to this, you have to be honest with yourself. If you're the kind of person that eats mochi with a fork and a knife or a spoon, I'm always like, if you can eat it with your hands, go yeah. for it. We could never be friends. I could never be friends with you if you decided to eat mochi. Soup's with a spoon. another one. People always feel like they have to eat soup with a spoon, but sometimes it's fun to just pick it up and drink it. Well, that's how they do in Asia. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best way to drink, eat soup. Wait, before we go, how do you rate the Michelin system on the NBA playoffs, the players? Oh, the players. Yeah. Okay. So Kawhi was a three. Pre injury KD was a three. I think Clay was a two. Giannis was a two. Dame Lillard was probably a one because he. What about Draymond? Off. Three? No, Draymond's a one. Draymond was a yeah, one. I thought his he was all over unbelievable the place. in the playoffs. He what was all over the place. Uh, Fred Van Vliet post Parenthood was probably a one. It's impressive how he got his shit together. Curry's a three. I mean, he's just standard. Jokic was a two. Um, so really, just Kawhi and Embiid and Simmons. Simmons was a zero. I didn't, I don't think he got rated. I think the Michelin staff examined his game and just said, fuck it. Embiid was probably a one. Everyone in the Celtics was a zero. Fuck this Celtics season. And how how gutted are you with this upcoming season? I'm not. You can feel it coming. It happens in sports sometimes. We've had a lot of success, but sometimes you put the right pieces together and it just doesn't work. I'm sure yeah. you've had a restaurant like that, right? It's like, what happened? I did everything right. And it's like, well, sometimes this is the way it plays out. Hmm. You're the wrong chef, you're the wrong like beverage person, you had the wrong location. Like sometimes it can all look good on paper, but you never know. All right, man, we'll get you out of here. Thanks for doing this uh, last it's second podcast. I'm really proud of this Pod podcast. Father. Thank you, Bill. It was fun to watch you grow from the completely terrified guy who was just afraid to say anything unless there was another person there too. Very terrified. Who can host it and drive it and has all these cool people on it. So congrats. Uh, it's been good. Thank you to the Ringer family, Isaac Lee and everyone. It's been good. Uh, and a lot of, I think a lot of people are listening to it, which is weird. Yeah. Cool. Thank yeah. you for listening, everybody. Thanks guys. Well, thanks for listening to this podcast. I wanted to end this on an Ask Dave at MajorDomoMedia.com question. And here's Isaac Lee. All right. From Helen Langford. The other day, you posted a video on Instagram of some giant tub of food thickener from Walgreens. What is that? Do you really use it in the kitchen? This is actually a question that I had, too, because I saw that and I had the same question. So I'm very curious. Yeah, actually, I do. <laughs> I saw it in the Walgreens. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I posted something on my Instagram feed and it was a giant tub of like thicket or like, I don't even know what the fuck the name was. That is a combination of modified food starch and maltodextrin, tapioca maltodextrin. I'm not going to get into the food science of it all right now, but there are plenty of um, varieties of what I posted. It's essentially a combination of hydrocolides that thicken up water, right? Like modified food starch is essentially like some variation of cornstarch or tapioca or something like that. And it might be um, the ionization might have changed. So it's like a, it's soluble in cold water. You don't have to like heat it up and make a traditional slurry like with flour, for instance. And you might see something like that in Wunja flour, which is used quite a bit in restaurants. Cornstarch, you probably have that at home. And that is a wonderful ingredient in and of itself. And maltodextrin is a very powerful ingredient that's used a lot to sort of make powders. And if you open up a tub of maltodextrin, it sort of just like floats in the air. It's very, very light. So it's oftentimes combined with other ingredients. There's thick and easy. There's like a handful of other names. And again, a lot of these products were used for people that have a hard time swallowing something. So I can't remember the medical term, but I've never used it for these things. And it's just something that was readily available and it can become a bad crutch to use these things. 
people will say, why don't you use xanthan gum, which is a very wonderful tool, but partly is like you need to activate it in a vortex and you need a blender and all these things and a scale to accurately measure things out. At a home, I'm not doing any of that shit. And a lot of the times I don't want to just add cornstarch to it too because it's just like not the kind of um, thickening power that I want to use. And I don't really want to make a slurry either because I don't want to oftentimes have that sort of flowery taste. Sometimes I do, like if I'm making a chowder or something. But having this tub of (laughs) sort of food-grade thickener that you can put into cold water is a very useful thing to have. And I almost did it as a joke, but I do know some people that have it. And I have a different version that I take from the restaurant that's just in a bag. But I bought it in the past, particularly when I've done sort of offsite events and stuff, and you need to thicken shit up, right? It's very, very useful. I don't think you should use it at all unless you know what you're doing, which is why I joke it's called culinary dark arts. We need to have Alex Stupak on this podcast because he is America's greatest dark arts master in uh, using this stuff. And um, it's stuff you should have. There are good tools and tricks to have. But, like, you can put them in salad dressings to help stabilize it. There's, like most things, using it too much is a bad thing. In moderation, it's a great tool to have in your arsenal. So I'll just leave it at that. Can I ask an addendum on that? Yeah. So, like, you said salad dressing to stabilize the consistency of that. Like, what are some other examples of the use of a thickener? If you just want to thicken anything up. It literally, you can just whisk it in or just like... But like, what are those instances? Because I, I can't think of anything. <laughs> like a um, stew let's just say, Let's sort? just say like, I, I used it recently, like I, I had uh, oxtail soup, right? And I want to make it thick, but I don't want to add a slurry because I'm going to have to add too much flour and this is going to be flavorless. You can literally just put it in and you're going to make it like an instant gravy. Uh, it's really lazy and it's <laughs> cheating, quite frankly. But... It's nice to know that you have these options (laughs) and it's great for gravies. Really great. Or like, let's just say I I don't want to actually use egg yolk and mustard to make a vinaigrette, but I want it to be a little bit thicker than just having, you know, lemon juice and olive oil just to give it a little bit of body. Yeah, yeah. But I don't want to add xanthan gum because I don't want to fucking blend it. I don't want to add oxygen because it can sort of change the color or something. Literally, there's a product called Thick and Easy. It's essentially the same thing, and you can literally just put it in. This is not the time or place to go into the actual techniques of it. I'm just simply saying it is a useful tool. I thought it was fucking hilarious that it's at Walgreens, and actually, restaurants don't really use this. You can, and there are ways to do it. It's great in ice cream stabilizers, but here's the thing. Once you open up Pandora's box on this, it's like— Every fucking amateur cook's going to be like, oh, I can do it this way, or they're not using it wrong. No, I was simply saying you have something that is very useful, and it's probably in the the home medicine department at your your drugstore, and you don't even know it. And it's a very, very powerful thickener that's easy to use. So there it is. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Give us five stars or however you rate this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. Stay tuned next week for our next episode. Thank you so much, guys. Take it easy.